Well, the following story is about somebody falling asleep in church. It's never happened here, but it happened once in the book of Acts. On the first day of the week, which would be their Sunday, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them since he intended to leave the next day. And he continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where they were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and bending over him took him in his arms and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And then Paul went upstairs, and after he had broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn. And then he left. And meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. The word of the Lord. Well, Dr. Anna Anna Carter Florence, the Peter Marshall professor at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, she preached a series uh, of sermons on this text, Eutychus, and she entitled it A Prodigal Preaching Story, Paul, Eutychus, and Bored to Death Youth. If you're a youth here today, will you raise your hand? Come on. They're in the balcony. Thank you. Eutychus was a young person in church who was bored literally to death. It's a great title, and she writes this. This is the first recorded incident in the history of the Christian church in which a young person is literally bored to death by preaching. But it strikes me that it's not just youth, but people of all ages who have fallen out of the windows of the church, and you wouldn't know it today with the crowd we have here on this uh, Sabbath day, but it's happening all over the country. Some of those people who have fallen out of the windows of the church may be your grown children, 35, 36, 42-year-olds, who don't come to church. Or it may be your grandchildren who... Their parents, your children, are not bringing them to church. It could be a spouse of yours who didn't come with you today or a friend of yours who has fallen out the window. And the question is, what happened to those people? They were raised in the church. They went to Sunday school when they were little. They attended youth group and maybe even went on a mission trip or two. So how did we lose them? What happened? Well, for one thing, things have changed around the American church over the past 50 years since the mid-1960s. We've noted a lot of changes since 1965, say. 
Because now there are no expectations that you attend church anymore, whereas 45, 50 years ago, everybody was expected to go to church. In fact, my mother said there were two reasons why you couldn't go to church. You know what those were? You had to have a fever or what? Be, be throwing up. It's one of those two. And I tried to make myself throw up and I just couldn't do it. And it used to be, or it seems in the South anyway, or in my childhood, it seemed to me that everybody went to church. On Sunday morning, that's what you did. Everybody went to church. Now, that wasn't true, but it seemed like it. And now you are actually in the minority if you're sitting in church this morning. And if you go dressed up to a restaurant on Sunday, you're the odd man or woman out in the room. There was a time when nobody would cut their grass on a Sunday. You wouldn't dare cut your grass or wash your car. If you did that, you were from somewhere else. The church drove the train on Sundays. We set the pace. Things were decided based on us because stores weren't open on Sundays because of church. Alcohol sales had to be, which is a little hypocritical, but they had to be after noon. You had to get out of church before you could have a drink. Christianity was the unofficial, official religion of America. That's what it was. And now Sunday is just another Saturday for most people, really, in our country. Who wants to get up? on a beautiful day like today, and go to church, especially if it's boring. Nobody. I don't. They don't either. Other things have changed, though, around the American church in those 50 years I was talking about. One is youth sports on Sunday, and many of you have had to struggle with that because your kids are in soccer leagues and so forth, and and all of a sudden, I don't know when it happened, but we could have youth games on Sunday mornings. And you have to travel and go away for the weekend and come back. And then you're torn between, do I take my kid off the, off the team and, and deal with that in, in order to go to church on Sunday? Well, if it, especially if it's boring, how could I possibly force that child to go to church and not be on their team? It's tough for you parents. Uh, Catherine and I had to deal with this too. And then we had dual career families that came along where mom and dad are both uh, working and uh, in many cases professionals. And so there's a kind of attitude that Sunday is the only day, especially if you have youth sports on Saturday and youth sports on Sunday. It's the only day we have to rest, even from the church. People's schedules are so busy. Somewhere along the way, in this 50-year period of time, people decided that they could be spiritual but not religious. And what they mean by that is they can be good people, good, kind, loving people without church. And they can experience God without the formal structures of church. Now they tell us we're losing the baby boomers. 
my generation, the empty nesters. Children have grown and gone. In our case, they're all married. And all those years of taking kids to all the stuff we took them to and all the activities we had, now we baby boomers are free. And so we can travel on weekends. We can go away and do things. We might have a little bit more money now that kids are out of college and weddings are paid for. And so with that mobility and flexibility, you know, going to church, especially if it's boring, it's a good time to skip. And here's another thing in the 50 years that you might not have thought of, but being able to listen to sermons online has made a difference or to, to live stream because, you know, you get up on Sunday morning, do you want to go to church? Oh, I don't know. Let's just watch it on, the, you know, let's just get it, download it. Get a cup of coffee, sit out on the deck. If the sermon's not good, you can always turn it off. I'm going to look in the camera and say this, don't turn this sermon off. I've threatened to uh, make it where you have to buy a subscription to church, you know, to the sermons where you have to put your credit card in the computer or something in order to get it. And that way we'd get the offering and they get to listen, but we get the offering, you know. I hadn't figured out a way to do that. There's a lot of other things that have changed, though, around the church in the last 50 years. There was the gay marriage issue. Now it's legalized in the country, and Presbyterian Church voted to allow sessions and churches to make a decision on their own whether they want want to marry uh, gay couples or not. And that caused a a long 35-year, 40-year debate. Ever since I've been in ministry, we've been talking about it, until it was finally resolved But that created a lot of heartache for people. And there was a lot of people who dropped out of church because of that very sensitive debate. Then there there became a lot of church scandals where clergy were caught up in scandals and churches with fraud and affairs and addictions and abuse, all in the church, but also in other institutions. And there became a more pluralistic view of religion and less confidence in an absolute truth. In other words, that Christ died on the cross for your sins and that you must receive him into your heart. The the kind of messages that Billy Graham would preach when some of us were children. That absolute truth became more thin and thin and thin over the years to where I'm not so sure anyone has the absolute truth. There also became a lack of trust in institutions because of the scandals, a lack of trust in our government because of things that have happened in the White House, a lack of trust in education because of what teachers have done and administrators, a lack of trust in in hospital and health care, a lack of, of trust in the priests and the pastors. We've given our young people a good reason not to trust these institutions. And then there's been an increase, almost a quadrupling of non-profit organizations in the past 50 years who now do charitable work that, that only the church once did. 
We were the ones that built the nursing home. We were the ones that built hospitals, Presbyterian hospitals. We're the ones that built the universities, Presbyterian college. We're the ones, the church, who would do this significant work for the world. And now many, 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 many people are doing that charitable work outside the church. And finally, one thing that's changed in the last 50 years is an astounding amount of biblical illiteracy. People don't know the Bible. So when I do preach a sermon, I have to explain the most simple of things in almost every sermon because many, many people who are listening to these sermons might not know the history of the Old Testament, who I'm talking about when I say King David, what I mean when I say the word Pharisee, what, is, what, uh, what I'm talking about when I talk about resurrection. They have no sense of the depth and the meaning of the Holy Scriptures. So here's what we have. We now have a church located in the heart of a secular culture. And that's where we all are in America. So that window that young Eutychus fell out of that night has become a floodgate of people exiting the church. And the question that we've all been asking in one form or the other is, so what are we going to do? Maybe we can find a preacher, Bill, who will fix all this. Will God help that preacher? Because there is no preacher who can fix all of those dynamics that are surrounding the local church. Rachel Held Evans, author of uh, several things, uh, one, one of her latest books was Searching for Sunday. She had posted a blog on the CNN website uh, sometime back, but it got a lot of reaction. The title of it was Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church. Great, great question. And here's what she wrote. Time and again, the assumption among Christian leaders and evangelical leaders in particular is that the key to drawing 20-somethings back to church is simply to make a few style updates, edgier music, more casual services, a coffee shop in the fellowship hall, a pastor who wears skinny jeans, That ain't going to happen. You don't want that to happen. And an updated website that includes online giving. What millennials really want, she writes, from the church is not a change in style, but a change in substance. You can't hand us a latte and then go about business as usual and expect us to stick around. We're not leaving church because we don't find the cool factor there. We're leaving church because we don't find Jesus there. Oh, I do not want her to be right about this. But I fear she is. You hope there's more Jesus in a church than some people think, but the church, we know this, the church doesn't always look like Jesus. 
We get lost. Churches get lost. And the church has given people plenty of reasons to fall out the window. We have. They're not evil people. We just bored them to death. Boredom can be understood as a mild form of death. Everything in boredom just goes to sleep. Fred Craddock once said, in light of the resurrection, the one thing that the church can never be is dead. Think about that. In light of the resurrection, the one thing a church can never be is a dead church. And yet the opposite of boredom, the opposite of boredom cannot be entertainment. The declining church in America, losing members, losing money, all of that, has been tempted in its current wilderness to turn stones into bread, to feed people's appetites, to jump off of pinnacles, and to play to the market. And that's a wrong move. Richard Rohr wrote Falling Upward. It's a great little book. And he writes this, there is much evidence on several levels that there are at least two major tasks to human life. The first is to build a strong container or an identity. And the second is to find the contents that the container was meant to hold. Two tasks in life, one to build the container, the other to find the contents for which the container was built. And he argues that we, and I think he's talking about Americans, are primarily a first half of life culture. We're obsessed with the containers. We define our success by container standards. How big is your house? It's your container. How deep is your bank account? That's your container. How much do you have of this? How much do you have of that? They're all container questions. Churches do this too. We, we say, how many members do you have? Well, we have 1,300 members. Can't find them all, but we've got them. What's your attendance on Sunday morning? How big is your budget? Those are all container questions. What is the content that is in your container? That's a second half of life kind of question. And it's a great question for any individual or church, and yet churches have become paralyzed with their containers. Buildings, budgets, stylistic changes, marketing on the websites, entertainment, good coffee. The idea is this. If you change your container... They will come. Wrong move. The real question is, how do you get to the content for which the container was built? Sometimes it takes pain, I think, to move. If you're comfortable, you won't change. If something comes along and creates pain, you're prone to move. And you're prone to move from container kind of life, houses and bank accounts and your identity, and you're prone to move to content kind of questions. What is my life really all about? 
Eutychus fell out of the window and died. That was painful. And it changed the agenda of the church that night. Anna Carter points out the simple fact that what happened? What happened when Eutychus fell out the window? Paul stopped preaching. It's not good job security for me, but it's in the Bible. He quit talking. And he went outside. He left the building. He left the container. And he went outside, physically took Eutychus in his arms. He touched him. He noticed him. He cared about him as an individual. And he held him and said these words, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Those are the life-giving words our world is waiting to hear us say. That's the kind of church a lot of people would be willing to join. A church that's touching individual lives. Every organization has to do the container work. In a couple of weeks, we're going to do, you know, do the stewardship campaign and the pledge cards and all that. But container work is the means to the end and not the end within itself. Leave the building. Touch people who have fallen out of the windows of life. Affirm their life. The affirmation of a person's life in Christ is what raises people from the dead. And isn't that what God did in Christ coming to us in our brokenness? Laying outside the church... In the yard, stone dead, Christ came to the world to bring us life. Do not be alarmed. Their life is still in them. Wouldn't that be the task of any church that seeks to follow Jesus? Well, maybe we should stop talking so much as church people. And maybe we ought to touch more people with these words. Do not be alarmed, for their life is in them. I think less people would fall out of the window of that church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.